You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. It's been a pretty anxious week. Because of that, as I was looking and um, thinking about the text for this week, uh, I felt a strong urging of the Spirit to go to, a, to this text that we have in Matthew. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 25 and following, but we'll begin our reading in verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider how the lilies of the field grow, and they neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me, please? Father and our God, we thank you for your word. How we need your word. Come and feed our hungry souls with it today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives as you see fit. 
We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The visiting Bible teacher that I was driving to the airport in Uganda was almost frantic as he anticipated the possible problems that he could encounter on his way back to the United States. I tried to encourage him and told him not to worry. And he said, uh, I wouldn't worry. Worry is a sin. I looked over at him to see if he was kidding. But he was serious as could be. <laughs> I was thinking, um, denial is not just a river in Uganda. Uh, and uh, clearly my visiting friend was in denial about his anxiety. That's where I want to start today. Yes, worry is a sin, but that doesn't mean we don't do it. Uh, if you never worry, this morning's message isn't for you. Um, what? No, you don't have to leave. You can, you can stick around. Because I, I'm firmly convinced that the only person in this room who never worries, and for that matter, for those who are listening online, the only one who never worries is the Lord Jesus Christ and he's the ones who, who gave us this, these powerful words that, that we just read. Three times in the passage we find the prohibition, do not be anxious. And the corresponding positive prescription is, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So here's the big idea. Our Lord wants to free us from worldly anxieties. So that we may pursue his kingdom and righteousness. Notice that the first word in verse 25 is therefore. It points back to the idea of serving only one master. That is God, not money. If money is your master, you have every reason for worry. But if God is your master, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Just to clarify our terms, I'm using worry as a synonym for being anxious. And likewise, for our purposes, worries, cares, and anxieties all mean the same thing. So I'd like to approach the text by asking these three questions. Number one, what is worry? Number two, why is worry such a problem? And number three, the big one, how can we overcome the problem of worry in our lives? So first things first, what is worry? Five times in our text, the Lord uses the Greek word for worrying or being anxious. Now sometimes this word is used in the New Testament to indicate a genuine concern. For example, Paul's concern for the churches that he had planted or Epaphroditus' concern for the believers in Philippi. But most of the time, the word is used for something negative, worrying or being anxious. And if you're like me, you, this, uh, this caused me at least to wonder, how is it that a good, legitimate concern somehow morphs into anxiety and worry. 
I think I found the answer to that, and the dictionary definition to anxiety was really helpful. Anxiety, it said, is distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. Let me give you an example of how a legitimate concern can change to anxiety. You start with something that you should be concerned about, such as your health or a financial need. And then, as you think about it more and more, you start envisioning worst-case scenarios. What's going to happen if you fill in the blank? And now, your concern is mixed with fear. And as a result, you're feeling distressed, you're feeling uneasy. In other words, you're worrying. Now, let's see how the same process plays out in the text that we, that we read. Jesus starts with two legitimate concerns, your life and your body. Can't get much more basic than that, can you? But, but, but then he says, when fear enters the picture, look, look what happens. Now, we're asking, what should we eat? What should we drink? I don't have a thing to wear. All of these concerns have become anxieties. I, I really think we could, we could reduce the principle to this formula. Concern plus fear equals anxiety or worry. So if we're going to deal with the problem of worry, we don't want to get rid of concern, but we are going to have to deal with the fear that is added to that concern. And we're going to talk about how to do that. But before we do that, let's consider, first of all, why worry is such a problem. Worry is sinful. As my friend said, I wouldn't worry. Worry is a sin. It is sinful. And the reason that it's sinful is because worry assaults the very character of God. The text mentions four specific ways that worry is an affront to God. In the first place, worry dispenses with the presence of God. It acts as if God's not there. He says, after all these things, in verse 31, the Gentiles seek. Now, when Jesus was using the word translated here, Gentiles, it was what the Hebrews would call the goyim, the people that were without God. Paul described this group as without hope and without God in the world. You know what an atheist is, right? A person who doesn't believe in God. But, but there is also such thing as a practical atheist. And that's a person who may intellectually believe in God, but lives his or her life as if God weren't there, or as if God didn't really matter. And I'm convinced that at different times, all of us live like practical atheists. Let me just give you this example. I gave my dog a bone one day. And he received it so gleefully and joyfully. And he proudly pranced off. You would have thought he had won the lottery. And eventually, he settled down on his blanket and started chewing away contentedly at his bone. I had to do something in another room. 
And as I walked by him, he growled at me. And I looked at my dog, I said, Buster, A, I don't want your stupid, slobbery, stinky bone. And B, I'm the one who gave you the bone in the first place. You should be thanking me, not growling at me. And his response, as you might expect, was to continue gnawing on his bone, but keeping a wary eye on me all the time. Later, upon reflection, I realized, oh my gosh, in rebuking my dog, I was rebuking myself. When God gives me a gift, I receive it so happily and joyfully and thankfully. But the very moment it, it seems like it's even a little bit threatened, I start worrying. I start feeling anxious. In effect, I'm growling at God instead of thanking Him, right? I'm living like a practical atheist. That's what worry does in our life. It, it, it acts as if God is not there. It dispenses with the presence of God. Worry also disregards the providence of God. The providence of God are, are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all His creatures and all their actions. God cares for all His creation. He feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers. Those were the two examples that Jesus gave in the text. You know, you'll, you'll never be driving along and reach the corner of Ina and Campbell and see a little bird there standing with the sign that says, we'll work for food. They don't have to do that. They, they have... Uh, they have a God who feeds them. Yet, God is not described as their heavenly Father. Did you notice that? He's described as your heavenly Father. And since you are worth more than the birds and the flowers, you can be sure that your heavenly Father will, be, will take care of you. The much more that we see in verse in verse uh, 30, much more will God uh, provide for you. That's an important qualification. He's saying that God's not going to take care of you. Your Heavenly Father's not going to take care of you in the same way that He takes care of the birds and the flowers. He's going to take care of you much more than He takes care uh, of them. The greatest demonstration of how much God cares for you is in the gospel, right? The Lord Jesus came. He loved you. He died for you. He gave his life on Calvary for you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a demonstration of God's love. That's how much God cares for you. I read something one day where, where someone said, uh, I, I asked the Lord, how much do you love me? And he said, I love you this much. And he stretched out his arms and died. That's how much God loves you. He gave himself for you. The Apostle Paul uses this same much more argument that Jesus is using, that God cares for you much more than he cares for the flowers and the birds. He uses that 
in reference to, to our own lives in the gospel. Listen to this verse from Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Are you following the logic here? God has already given us His greatest, most precious, most costly gift when He gave us His Son. It doesn't make sense that He would give us His very best and then withhold from us the lesser things that, that He knows we need. As, as Jesus points out in verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But when we worry... We're denying the providence of God. We're thinking, if I don't look out for myself, nobody else is going to do it. So I'm going to look out for number one. And have you noticed when someone uses the expression, looking out for number one, nobody ever needs to have that explained to them by who number one is? We all know it innately, don't we? Worry also distrust the promises of God. There are certain promises of God we see in the text that God's going to feed you and clothe you. But it also adds this. All these things will be added to you in verse 33. And those, all those things includes all the things we thought of in Romans 8 where, where he's not going to withhold any of the uh, things. The one who graciously uh, provided his son for us is not going to withhold any other good thing from us. Worry shows that we don't really believe that God is going to keep His promises. It displays a blatant distrust of God's faithfulness. And that's why Jesus calls us when we're worrying, O oh, you of little faith, in verse 30. Finally, worry distorts the priorities of God. As we mentioned, He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things. But he tells us instead we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A David Lamott song speaks of people who are so busy making a living that they don't have time for a life. If we spend all of our time and energy worrying about the things of this world, we will never get around to fulfilling our divine priorities. In his parable of the sower and the soil, the Lord Jesus mentioned the seed that fell among the thorns this way. They're the ones who, who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. God wants us to bear much fruit and fruit that will remain. But that's never going to happen as long as worry is allowed to distort our God-given priorities. So you see that worship is really an affront to the character of God. But on top of offending God, worry is a self-destructive, worthless waste. Jesus puts it this way. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life. He's saying worry is a complete waste of time, energy, and emotional resources. No problem was ever solved by worrying. 
And when we worry about the future, we're spending today's resources on tomorrow's anticipated problems. That's why Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And beyond simply being wasteful, worry can actually be self-destructive. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic once claimed that half of all the beds in their hospitals were filled by people who worried themselves there. Well, Jesus says you're not going to lengthen your life by worrying, but it seems that you may actually shorten it by doing so. Anxiety contributes to many different diseases and disorders. It's destructive to both our physical and mental health. So to sum up, worry is a problem because it offends God. It assaults His character, His providence, His presence, His promises and priorities. And it harms us. It's a worthless, self-destructive waste. So that leads us to the big question. How can we overcome this problem of worry and anxiety? I want to take you back to the formula I gave you earlier. Concern plus fear equals anxiety. If we're going to deal with the problem of anxiety and worry, we're going to have to deal with the root problem, which is fear. Okay? The most common command that you'll find in the Bible is this. Fear not. Fear not. You could probably think of a number of texts just off the top of your head. Where fear not is in it. Do not be afraid. Psalm 56.3 also tells us that the antidote for fear is faith. Listen to this. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. You remember that wonderful Bible story of the, the raging storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples are despairing for their very lives and finally, in panic, they wake him up and he rebukes the storm and everything's calm. You know what he said to them after that? Why were you so afraid? Where is your faith? Have you ever felt like that? Where's your faith? It was here a minute ago. I don't, I don't know what happened to it in the moment. It just, you know, it, 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 just, it just disappeared. This is how it works, though. This is fear coming into play. Fear can drive our faith out. And, uh, and because faith is the antidote to fear, faith is also the, the key to overcoming anxiety. So, so I want to offer four practical suggestions to help you apply the medicine of faith to the disease of anxiety. And the first and most obvious is this. Believe the gospel. Okay? Believe the gospel. Acknowledge that you have a heavenly father who cares for you and loves you. That you have a savior who died for you and delivered you. 
that you have a Holy Spirit who indwells you and empowers you. This God has demonstrated his love, as we've already mentioned, by sending his son to die for you. His presence is with you. His providence preserves you. The very first thing every morning, you should be reminding yourself of this gospel. Reminding yourself of who you are, of who God is, and then of who you are in Christ. And how much God loves you and accepts you. And then all throughout the day as needed, remind yourself again. Preach the gospel to yourself. You need it. I need it. Along with believing the gospel, check your priorities. Let God's kingdom and righteousness truly be your chief concerns. And Jesus said these are to be our top two priorities, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know, uh, two, two really good measures of where your priorities are would be your calendar and your checkbook. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? By looking at those, you, you can see where your priorities really are. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Keep the main thing, the main thing, His kingdom, His righteousness. Thirdly, live life one day at a time. This is really a skill that needs to be, to be learned. And anyone who's ever been through a 12-step program dealing with addiction will tell you that this is something that, that, uh, that is taught there. But it's a very biblical principle. As Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Learn to live one day at a time. Don't waste tomorrow, today's emotional capital by speculating on what might happen tomorrow. Finally, I would propose to you that if you're going to apply this medicine of faith to the problem of fear and anxiety, that you learn to cast all of your anxieties upon the Lord in believing prayer. Earlier in this chapter, the Lord gave us a prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting how many of the ideas from our text correspond to that prayer. For example, God is called your Heavenly Father. And we were taught to pray how? Our Father in Heaven. We're told in our text, seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. Likewise, in the Lord's Prayer, before we say, give us today our daily bread, we pray, your kingdom come, God's kingdom. Your will be done, God's righteousness, right? The extension of His kingdom, the outworking of His righteousness. And then Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. And He taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Today. Now, some of my favorite verses in the Bible deal with this theme of replacing anxiety with believing prayer. 
And I'll leave it to you to speculate as to why these happen to be some of my favorite verses. But, uh, but here's one of them. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's in 1 Peter, right? Casting all, can you, can you just envision taking all, all of your worries, all of your concerns, all, all, all of these anxieties and throwing them over on Jesus? And he says, why? Because he cares for you. That's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? He cares for you. Another verse that I really love is in Philippians 4. That says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Our Lord wants to free us from worldly anxiety so that we may pursue His kingdom and righteousness. And when you replace your worry and your fear with faith, your anxiety with kingdom-focused living, you will receive two wonderful benefits from the Lord. The first is the, His provision. All these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You take care of minding His priorities, and He'll take care of what you need. That's the promise of Matthew 6.33. And the other thing is from, actually from Philippians 4.7, is that He'll give you His peace. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. You need a guard around your heart. You need a guard around your mind. And the picture... I like to think of this as, as Paul, as he's sitting in prison with guards around him as he's writing this. He's picturing the peace of God as a Roman sentinel marching around his heart, guarding his heart, guarding his mind from the attacks of the enemy. You say, could you explain this peace to me a little more? And I say, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I can't really explain it to you. Because I don't really understand it. And the reason I don't understand it is because it transcends understanding. But I can tell you that I have experienced it. And I can tell you that you will experience it too. As you learn to cast your cares on the Lord.